0: Hey, what's going on? It's John and it's time for the j Cast for Monday, July 4th. What's going on, friends and family? Thank you for joining me this week. Happy Canada Day to all my Canadian brethren and happy Independence Day to the American brethren. So, hope you've had a great week. Just going to keep it to a short introduction. Nice. I think I caught that fart on the recording. Just going to keep it to a short introduction today because earlier this week on Tuesday, I did an hour-long podcast with Julian Figueroa, who I met a few weeks back when I went to the ShakePay employee event. And we had a great conversation. I think you'll really enjoy it. We talked about a bunch of things. First of all, you know, his YouTube channel, which is called Kinetic Finance. Uh, He's got a pretty awesome short little two-part documentary on there, which is called El Primer País, which uh, I think translates to the first country, which is referring to El Salvador, the first country that has adopted Bitcoin as legal tender. He was there for about three weeks. He told me a little bit about the story of what it was like to travel in El Salvador, both in in the urban and rural areas of the country. So yeah, it's. I think you'll really enjoy uh, watching that little documentary. It's two parts, I think 10 minutes each, uh, totally worth a watch. It's called El Primer País. His uh, uh, YouTube channel is Kinetic Finance. Uh, the conversation was very wide-ranging, though we touched on a bunch of different little subjects, including Bitcoin mining, also running a Bitcoin node. Uh, We talked about how the Bitcoin revolution is taking a hold in Africa with Central African Republic uh, being the second country making Bitcoin legal tender. And we finished off talking a little bit about how his personal interest in Bitcoin comes from his interest in storytelling in general and learning about the story of money and just asking himself the question of what is money and slowly building out that thesis for himself and coming to some really interesting conclusions. So yeah, I hope you really enjoy this episode. Just before we start the podcast, remember you can always share an episode with somebody who might be interested in listening to the Jmartcast and also please take a second to rate the podcast and help get more eyeballs on it. And so now without further ado, here's Julian Figueroa. Up, Julian. How's it going, John? I'm I'm good. Do you have any nicknames?
1: Do I have any nicknames? Um, hmm. Uh, I I go by J Fig. Sometimes it's like Julian Figaro. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Like J yeah, yeah. Sometimes I go by. You, you, sh- you um, should see
0: what, like, you can see my uh, little name on, G- the, on on here. Yeah, exactly. So it's the same. G- J Mart, J Fig. Yeah, we're we're following the same format.
1: Yeah, when I'm when I'm sniping noobs, it's Jfig for sure. When it's <laughs> when it's arguing with people on Twitter, it's Kinetic Finance. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, Kinetic Finance—that's a great um, name for your YouTube channel. How did you come up with that?
1: Well, good question. It was actually Kinetic Crypto uh, beforehand, and then I realized that I did want to talk more about like the broader economy and just noticing over the last year how there's a lot more to crypto than just when you see the coins trading and all that ecosystem so much to do mm-hmm. with the macro. Uh, I think we've learned this year so much with the price action that like interest rates have such a big effect on this whole ecosystem, but also it was just, I wanted to get into broader concepts and I think um, I got really inspired by Robert Breedlove's stuff because uh, he starts oh, every yeah. conversation about money with the, with the perennial question, which is like, what is money? And I've, I've, mm-hmm. I've taken my own version of that and I've gone on the street and asked people and it's amazing how, You will never get the same answer twice from people. Uh, Everyone has a different interpretation of it. And you can tell so much about people's like backgrounds and histories just by like the type of answer they give as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So So true. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of. I saw a
0: little bit of that from uh, the El Primer País uh, video that I watched just before this. Yeah, you those...
1: know, I, I botched it because I uh, I wish I asked that question when I was down there. But, you know, my Spanish was so bad. We had a journalist uh, help us out, kind of navigate and ask a few questions. But I would have done that down there as well, I think. Uh, probably would have gotten a lot different responses than
0: mm-hmm. up here. Where are those uh, shot at?
1: So those are all, all the interviews that are, that are in the first part of the documentary. Yep. Those, like, those little quick ones, those are all done in Vancouver. We were just running around with a camera, English mm-hmm. Bay around Vancouver, just asking people. Um, the side note on this whole thing, like Mm -hmm. I love Canada, but it's so interesting how people are in different parts of Canada. And then also just going like 20 kilometers across the border. I found that I've just started getting into this whole going on the street, asking people questions and you sort of can do it two ways. You can either have a sign and then hope people come up to you or you just, Mm -hmm. you flag down random strangers and you say, Hey, do you want to take part in a video? Mm-hmm. I would say the couple of times that I've done it in Vancouver, I would say, uh, six to seven out of 10 people are just like, no, thanks. Like, I don't want to answer your question. We went to Bellingham a couple of weeks ago and I was doing the same thing on the street there. And I think out of like the 10 people we stopped by only like one person was like, nah, I don't have time. <sighs> Everybody wanted to get something in. And then um, a couple weeks ago when I met you in um, mm-hmm. in Toronto, I did the same yeah. thing with uh, one of ShakePay's content creators, Mike. And I've just found people there were like a lot more open to answering questions as well. So it's kind of interesting. Maybe my sample size is too small, but I find people here are like a little bit closed off to like just being hmm. on camera. They don't like being stopped in the middle of the street to answer things.
0: Weird. In- interesting uh, yeah. observation. Because I would have thought it would like be a breakdown between – rural versus versus urban where like city people are always like about the being quicker about things. Whereas uh, rural folks are always slow. they like to take their time. At least that's what I noticed at the Tim Hortons versus like city versus <laughs> country. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, that's where I thought it would be the breakdown, but you're saying Toronto is different from, from uh, BC area.
1: You know, it, it, it could also just be a timing thing. Um, you know, I think, you're right. Like some people are going to be in a rush. If you're going to be asking people like at the Metro station, they're probably not going to stop by because they have no clue how long this is going to take. And so sometimes we have to like rephrase the questions. Like, Hey, do you want to just answer one question for camera and then ask them like six more just so that they don't think it's like a big commitment up front. Uh, uh, Cause again, you are just like, you're flagging people down. But I just know, like I've watched so many of these style of videos and like mm-hmm. the places where you always get like the coolest, you know, variety of people are usually these big metro areas like New yeah. York. You get people who have like the entire show is just based out of asking people in like Times Square mm-hmm. random questions. Um, but I mean, yeah, just so far in like Vancouver, I found people are a little bit more closed off than other places.
0: I did recently have like a CP24 reporter come ask me, uh, to do a quick little video. It was myself with my family and. Now that i think about it I, it's, it's got to be like the perfect conditions for you to really want to do that because like it was really really hot and mm-hmm. i was with my family i wanted to spend time with them so it's like if i agree to do this i'm taking that time away from my family and it's on top of that it's like hot like i'm not going to be in the shade for this like so <laughs> i guess that's that's a big part of it as well if you don't have the perfect conditions most people are just going to say no
1: yeah, that's a really good point. Like, one of the things I do avoid doing is pulling over couples, uh, because I find that, like, it's one of those things where you'll just see, like, the girlfriend or the boyfriend, like, look at the other one and just be like, nah, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I i try and go after people who are, like, chilling or sitting on, like, park benches and stuff, because it's mm-hmm. just like, are you, like, on your phone? Is that really more mm-hmm. important than, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it there is, like, a science to it. I had a buddy who used to, uh, Do these types of videos outside like nightclubs and that was the best because you would get you know drunk people going in and out and people are like super loosened up and you'd be doing it at night and so you get like a ton of great things but for sure when you're asking like more economic questions people are you just never know what you're gonna get and I find people's like confidence too really varies like I'll start off asking people about, you know, I'll say like, you know, what, how is inflation affecting you? And, and they'll be like, Oh, I don't know anything about the economy. Like, don't ask me questions. Like, it's like, well, it's like, we all, it's like, it's not about the economy. It's about you. Right. And mm-hmm. like, what are your feelings and perceptions of it? Right. There's no right or wrong. I don't think so.
0: Well, I've seen enough like gotcha videos where it's like some reporter, like trying to specifically find the people that have like the worst opinions and then compiling them into like a, string of like different cuts that, you know, make fun of the whole group. So it's, (laughs) I could see the hesitation. (laughs) Yeah. How long have you had your channel for now?
1: Oh man, it's, uh, it's been on and off, but I would say like, I haven't really been full time at it till probably like the last three months. Like if you follow it, basically my routine is in July of last year, I started doing weekly live streams. I've missed a couple here and there, but I try to get at least one live stream per week. And then from there, I was only really getting like a main video out maybe once every month or two months. Um, so That's it's pretty this, good. It, well, I, I want to go full time. The problem is, is mm-hmm. it doesn't pay. And so it's a balance of like um, mm-hmm. the, the three things that I do when I'm not making YouTube is I run a video production business and I do trading and then the YouTube channel is the other thing. Mm -hmm. And then when I'm not doing either of those three things, I have like an off grid cabin that that is just like a lot of work all the time (laughs) too. So it's a, it's a juggling act and the YouTube channel has kind of been pushed to fourth a lot of the time. And now Mm -hmm. I'm like, I really feel like I want to get that one going. Um, so, yeah, it's been on and off. Like, I'll have spurts of doing these big projects. But now I'm trying to get more into, okay, mm-hmm. bare minimum, the live stream happens every week. And then mm-hmm. now I'm getting into, like, two TikTok videos. So, mm-hmm. overall, the channel's existed since, like, 2019. But I wouldn't say it's ever really been, like, full-time until just the last kind of two months or so.
0: Wow. And is your video production company, like, is that what was responsible for the Tahini uh, tahini's uh commercials or... You...
1: teenies. no we didn't do commercials for teenies i just did that little uh real thing so that was interesting like when i was out and uh when we met in toronto it was shake pay
0: mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: um they sort of didn't kind of sponsored me it was like they wanted to have me out there as just a gesture of you know goodwill and fun they didn't really mm-hmm. expect that they were like we'll, we'll cover your trip out here just come film content with us and hang out and uh you know we'll show wow. some more of the culture yeah so that was like super nice um Amazing. Um, so, and prior to that, I had met them down in Miami. I'd met Jean and then a couple of the other uh, kind of the people that came down to Miami from the crew there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. And I just took my camera. I didn't really have a plan and the Tiki's video came out of it naturally just cause Ali was uh, a part of like the orange pill session that yeah. Shake Paid did there. Um, but I, I find the story so interesting because I, it is. I'm starting to really try and, reach out to like more people in the Bitcoin space that uh, people know Tahini's that are Canadian, but I don't think that story is known at large with like a lot of Bitcoiners. And I think that's super interesting. And, you know, his business has been like a complete success, Um, Mm -hmm. you know? So, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's Bitcoin is for everyone. It's not just for, anarchist libertarians and, and stuff like that. And, yeah. and I think Ali's story is really cool. And, and the, the little video I did does not cover the whole thing. Like, he mm-hmm. has a really interesting story about like how he immigrated here and they started with like one restaurant and they were working, you know, super hard. And now they got this franchise system. And I eventually, I didn't get a, a super long interview with him, but I want to talk more at large about that. Like building a franchise and scaling a business is one of the hardest Things imaginable, mm-hmm. like managing to pull yourself out of the day to day and make mm-hmm. systems is incredibly challenging. It's something that I, I would say I failed at in my own business because I really wanted to get more employees and stuff and, and scale it up
0: because mm-hmm.
1: uh, we had a lot of demand, but I, I couldn't figure out the hiring process. Um, and That's then just, tough. I, I hated building out systems, yeah, and so it was just, it just stayed kind of this thing where, like, I would spearhead it, and I would give gigs to my friends and stuff, and it, it still runs, but
0: mm-hmm. I
1: don't think it's ever going to get to a point where, you know, I got one in, like, every city, and, and you know, I got the whole mm-hmm. thing running on its own, like, I kind of always have to be a part of it, and there's probably a way to separate that, but I, I haven't quite cracked the code, and it's just not the same... Uh, an agency is not the same as like a restaurant for sure as well. So. Mm. But I really envy the people that do figure it out because uh, it is tough, um, but it's doable for everyone.
0: Well, I think Ali's story is pretty, pretty awesome. And it, it need, it like it could use more people who are content creators who can kind of get it out of him almost and, uh, mm-hmm. and share it with the world. So that'd be pretty cool if you actually got a chance to do that. Right. Yeah.
1: I, I I did get like, we got like a 12 minute interview, but yeah, I mean like things are pretty, they were pretty rushed th- those couple days that we were there. Mm-hmm. Um, so we might, I might do like a follow up with zoom and stuff, but I got good footage of like the whole establishment and whatnot. And I think there is like a longer five or six minute video in there or 10 minute video uh, that mm-hmm. goes over a story, which would be really cool. So yeah. Hoping to make that at some point.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe if real quick, we could just summarize, like generally speaking, like he told some of it during that orange pill session, but essentially he was in Egypt during the, um, what was that revolution called? The Um, Arab spring, Arab spring. Thank you. (laughs) And he saw what kind of inflation did to Egypt and how it raised the price of food so that people just couldn't even afford for their basic needs. Then that led to such like a crazy regime change. And post that he 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 was he was in Canada and kind of was seeing some parallels as a response to the pandemic, and didn't know what to do. And he was probably I think he was saying like he was like his business wasn't going to make it. So what they ended up doing is just calling, kind of following the footsteps of uh, what MicroStrategy did, which is put a lot of all all their cash or all of their cash savings into into Bitcoin, right? And then Mm. this was yeah,
1: well. I mean, I, yeah, like, I think a big part of it was, um, he was definitely like seeing the dollar get devalued early on Mm -hmm. and then MicroStrategy, like, I don't have like a big successful business, but I was lucky enough to kind of do the same thing as well. As soon as MicroStrategy announced, I was like, oh shit. Like I also have like a ton of cash on the balance sheet, um, call it a balance sheet. I, and I was like, I don't know how to spend this because like, I'm not scaling my business right now. It's getting mm-hmm. full, but like I also want to do the YouTube thing, so I can't scale it. So what do I do? And I did the same thing, putting it into Bitcoin. And then I ended up making a video after that uh, talking about, I think there are certain types of businesses that really benefit from doing that. I don't think all businesses should have Bitcoin on the balance sheet because I mm-hmm. think if you don't have free cash flow and you don't have reserves and stuff, it doesn't really make much sense. And if you don't have that low time preference, you um, you know, look at things as well for your business, if you're trying to you know, sell your business or, or if you are able to scale your business up quite quickly mm-hmm. uh, you know, it doesn't make sense to, to put it into an asset like that. But if you are in a situation like, you know, Ali and I were um, and you're like looking for an inflation hedge,
0: mm-hmm. it's
1: almost the easiest one to get into and to break it down. Like unless you have, you know, millions of dollars, you're not going to buy real estate. Real estate also comes with a whole bunch of maintenance costs Mm-hmm. A lot of businesses, when they have free cash flow, they go and they buy a warehouse, you know, or they, instead of renting, they go and they buy, you know, whatever place that they're in, uh, the McDonald's model. Right. And then mm-hmm. if they're not doing real estate, uh, and many businesses can't cause the cost of entry is too high. Right. And you don't want to take on like a mortgage as well. Um, if you're not doing real estate, you know, some people put it into like bonds or they start like, a corporate portfolio for their business. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up, doing that as well but again the thing that's nice about bitcoin is you can dollar cost average into it not in the same way that you can with stocks Mm -hmm. and because stocks aren't super easily divisible uh you know let's just say you want to load up on some amazon for your corporation um you know you're buying in two thousand dollar increments until well the split was pretty recent but uh, (laughs) because of bitcoin like any size of business if you have even like a really small balance sheet right you can just pace it out exactly how you want and it's also just like it's a 24 7 asset as well so if you do need Mm -hmm. to dispose of it for whatever purposes it's it's pretty quick and easy
0: Mm -hmm. um
1: it's also being it's also nice knowing that you can just own it um and you're not you know just leaving it at a brokerage
0: holding it securely yourself where you know it's not exactly i mean like i
1: mean this is all theoretical um and i don't think you know any event has ever come where people's like stocks have been seized Uh, they've been diluted but um I think all of the brokerages technically are only insured for up to $250,000. So if you had like a million dollars of stocks and let's just say like the whole stock system stopped working all of a sudden, never has never happened, but Mm -hmm. it's possible just like, you buy and hold, you'd only be insured up to that certain amount and you can't take possession of stocks. Right. I I don't know. Maybe you can do certificates, but no one's really doing that. With (laughs) Bitcoin, it's just like, I have the keys. I can buy as much as I want. And then, you know, Mm -hmm. stuff custody's up to me. I can make that as rigid or as like Mm -hmm. not rigid as I want. So,
0: yeah. And you can verify the whole thing with your own node.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And I am just getting into that right now. I got a little mining rig. I cannot seem to figure out how to connect to my, uh, to my ethernet, but (laughs) <laughs> yeah, going the nodes coming next
0: uh, amazing Uh, what uh, which model do you mind sharing
1: oh it's uh, I was at a Bitcoin meetup we had here and some guy was like yo I got this like S9 for sale and I was like oh, okay I, I don't even care if it works that well well it should work but like mm-hmm. he sold it I think I bought it for like 300 bucks or something Canadian probably not the nice. greatest deal it's, it's super like outdated model but Mm-hmm. I got really inspired. I don't know if you know uh, this company called Mint Green.
0: I know I'm not familiar.
1: So Mint Green is, uh, they are outfitting um, boiler rooms with miners. And then they're using the heat output to heat apartment buildings here in Vancouver.
0: Wow. Yeah, Very it's cool.
1: super cool. It's super cool. So what I didn't realize about these things, I always thought like, well, that doesn't seem like that economical. Like, you know, why would a miner be a good source of heat? compared to just like a regular heater uh, taking the cost of electricity out of it. I didn't realize that like a, an electrical space heater that uses 1,400 watts versus a miner that uses 1,400 watts, they generate about the same amount of heat. And the only difference is the miner is crazy loud. Uh, wow! But all that heat is extractable. And if you can build uh, heat exchange systems and stuff like that, you can have like a whole warehouse in the bottom of your apartment building and mm-hmm. you can funnel all that heat into central heating uh, to be a which is just a crazy thought because you always think of miners as like they are there to mine Bitcoin. They don't really serve any other purpose. They're just these big metal boxes. But, you know, I didn't Mm -hmm. realize they produce a crazy, crazy amount of heat and that is really useful potentially as well. So
0: Yeah, why not recapture that? Divert it towards a useful function. Yeah. That's awesome. They recently
1: actually, they just got a grant, I believe, from BC Hydro, which is like our... State or provincial uh, electrical company uh, to outfit a few more buildings with this. So, very yeah, cool. Looking forward to seeing how that uh, develops. Really cool.
0: Mm-hmm. I think with the S9s, I've read that you can uh, install a firmware that lets you kind of control the power usage. Yeah. So you can like wind it up or wind it down. And then I've read that some people are able to wind it down to a sufficient level where it's not so loud that it's like, really, you can't have it on. You can't be around it if it's that loud, but mm-hmm. it, it quietens down, it qui- quiets down uh, considerably. And then it also acts as a space heater. So you kind of get the rest of both worlds a little bit. Yeah. So
1: so I I have an off-grid cabin. Unfortunately, I don't have like an amazing power supply for it. Like I just have solar, uh, but eventually I'll be getting like, I think diesel or propane out there. But, Mm -hmm. uh, the hardest thing out there is like, if you want to heat during the winter, you're either running a fireplace and I have one out there, but it's a small one because it's a small cabin and it runs out every like three or four hours. Um, or you have like a, a space heater but again that's just that's just taking up like all your electrical uh, you know all your battery over the winter and i was thinking like i should i should get the i should get a miner out there because that way i can get the heat from the miner and it can subsidize itself a little bit as well
0: like mm-hmm.
1: uh, get full internet so that's my pet project eventually is getting this this guy out there and then running something into my cabin i'll have the thing outside in like the freezing winter and it'll just be pumping heat indoors
0: <laughs> How do you get uh, internet up there in the cabin?
1: Uh, I can get 4G, so I just get like a mobile hotspot. A lot of people are like, oh, you should get a Starlink. and Starlink <laughs> So is expensive. expensive. It's very expensive, yeah. Yeah, That, that you're you, not going you get to get 4G. That. It's much better to do that than get a Starlink. Starlink's really for like the truly off-grid places.
0: Yeah, and uh, from what I understand, it doesn't take a lot of uh, data to – because it's just – no it's, it's just text right like <laughs> what
1: is it? is it it's like two megabytes a block no
0: or something yeah like. or is it one megabyte even
1: and that's that's like a full block so what is that every day so that's like every 10 minutes you're getting a megabyte down it's nothing
0: really yeah exactly
1: yeah yeah it's nothing
0: great yeah. great oh, cool. and and you're thinking about doing a node as well any like have you done your research yet
1: I um I don't have my technicals together. Uh, good time to check out BTC sessions because he has <laughs> yeah. all the fantastic tutorials on that. But I'm I'm still starting out on that. I'm just a I'm just a pleb who buys it dollar cost mm-hmm. averages, likes the yeah. asset, doesn't know the technicals that much. Uh, well, there's like your science
0: background. There's a huge journey that encompasses so many different things. Yeah. So it's like every. It, and it never stops too right so you're yes. just uh we're all on it and we're moving closer to something I mean, it's hard to say what exactly but it involves learning all these things like what is a node what does it do how do you build one why yeah. is it good to have so yeah definitely i i agree with the whole uh plug for btc sessions i've uh watched his videos and through them learned how to run my own node as well so yeah. I, I can tell you i'm running an umbrella. It it works yeah, okay. One yeah,
1: one I've heard. Yeah, umbral. So what do you have, like a Raspberry Pi? Are you running it off your computer? Or?
0: I have a Raspberry Pi, a dedicated one that I got before. There's apparently a huge shortage happening right now for Raspberry oh, Pis. Really? Yeah.
1: <laughs> do you think it's related to Bitcoin or just something else?
0: Uh, I, I think it's related to just uh, microchips being... being uh, there being a shortage in microchips in general. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah. I'm... I'm going to be uh, trying to learning learn about um, running a node um, on uh, Linux so I, I do have an old desktop computer that's just sitting collecting dust so I'm gonna try to see if I can fire up a new project and learn how to run a Bitcoin node on an old Linux uh, on a old uh, it was a Windows desktop but I'm gonna load uh, Linux Linux firmware on it
1: yeah man i've um i've had a lot of people tell me i have to read the block size war i was around when the, like the bitcoin cash split happened but like i always had a hard time wrapping my head around like well why not just get like bigger blocks and stuff and mm-hmm. um just realizing that like you can run like the world's biggest digital money system on 30 year old hardware
0: mm-hmm. is
1: a really good thing because you have like all of these places that you know Eventually, everywhere in the world is going to catch up to, like, 4G or 5G and all that. But Bitcoin is most important in the countries that haven't caught up. And if, let's just say Mm -hmm. we all went to bigger block sizes and stuff, that makes, like, the barrier to entry for a country like the Central African Republic so much harder to get into Mm -hmm. it. I was reading the other day that, like, and I don't know if this is fully true, but apparently there's only, like, 11 or 12 full nodes for Bitcoin SV. Um, again, oh, wow. I'm not entirely sure on it, but for sure, like the blockchain for Bitcoin SV, I think they're dealing with like 256 megabyte or like one gigabyte blocks. Um, and almost all the transactions are like just spam. Uh, there's not much actual value being transacted on the chain, mm-hmm. but you need to download like terabytes on terabytes on terabytes to get the full SV blockchain. Uh, and so it makes it basically impossible because... There's no economic incentive to do it, right? Like, if you mm-hmm. want to have a full node, you have to spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to do it. But mm-hmm. I don't know, like, what's the cheapest you could get a full node for now? I think the Bitcoin blockchain is what, like 400 gigabytes?
0: Yeah, uh, between four and 500.
1: So, I mean, like, an SSD for that size you could get in bulk from Alibaba or something for like 80 bucks. And then a Raspberry Pi is like 100 or something. Mm hmm. So we're talking about a, a sovereign way to verify money uh, mm-hmm. that is used everywhere for $180 as opposed to like the next mm-hmm. iteration of Bitcoin. I don't know what Bitcoin cash is at. Probably not as crazy as SV, but still pretty high up. 180 bucks to basically verify your own transactions is, is pretty great. So It yeah. took me
0: a while to understand that, to be honest, though. It's, um, mm-hmm. it's a hard concept because like, may, this is a funny way to put it, but I just thought like, if you look at the number on your phone, then like, it's got to be true. <laughs> like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't think like, oh, it could just be like, somebody just shows you whatever number you want to see, but in the back, like, you know, everything's siphoned away. Like, like, how do you know? How do you know that like, when you buy Bitcoin from the exchange that you actually have it and it's not just like them saying that you have it, but it's not really there. You got to move it yeah. off the exchange. You got to move it into your own wallet and then you verify it with a node okay where do i get a node well you can use somebody else's node but then you got to trust them or you can build your own node okay i'll build my own node. how much does it cost millions and millions of dollars (laughs) okay never mind i'm out right like 180 bucks sure i'll do it
1: (laughs) man it's so interesting uh seeing how quick everyone is learning in like this one vacuum how important it is to have the keys to your own bitcoin because i think obviously like when mount gox went down uh everyone learned like the hard way back then mm-hmm. but uh every successive like wave of like bull markets we get into we get these new participants who go straight to the i just want to own it as a speculative thing and mm-hmm. then they chase the yield or they keep it on exchanges or, or whatever right and then they just you know I feel so bad, like some people are like, oh, anybody who chased yield is an idiot, but it's just like, dude, like uh, Celsius and all these things, they were working fine for a year.
0: Uh, mm-hmm.
1: The average person is not going to like read all these things. Then they wake up one day and they find they can't withdraw their money. And like, that's a brutal way to learn, but it happens to so many people.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm.
1: But uh, where was I going with this? Well, the, the whole thing that's so interesting is like every single one of these yield lenders, uh, I think with the exception of leaden. Yeah, uh, is basically under complete distress right now. Uh, are yeah. raising like a ton of capital to basically, uh, they're basically raising capital to just get the withdrawals fulfilled. Uh, they're gonna basically dilute any previous equity holders to zero. Wow. I think that's almost the plan with like BlockFi at this point.
0: Yeah, I just uh, got my dad off BlockFi finally. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> after Celsius after, went down, I was like, all right, dad, look, let's, yeah, let's, Celsius let. <laughs>
1: like the crazy thing is, is like. <sighs> Celsius and, or sorry, Voyager and um, uh, what you would call block three tie, capital arrows. Or- they yeah. weren't. Yeah, they were more involved with three AC, whereas uh, Celsius was more like we're going to get caught up in these like staking mechanisms. So mm-hmm. you know, and they don't have good regulatory stuff going on there. So it's interesting. No one's lending them a lifeline. Uh, FTX stayed away from them for sure.
0: Um, <laughs> that tells you incredible. something about it, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually, I actually am working on a video going over like the top three things to watch out for in a crypto project. And like the first one's like, it's, it's worth looking up the management of the company that you're investing in and see what statements people put out. And like the one with Mashinsky is like, he, he shits on Bitcoiners all the time. He's like, oh, thirty 30% mm-hmm. of all Bitcoin's been lost because the Bitcoiners told right. you to take possession of your keys. I'm just like, right. Yeah, that's how Bitcoin works.
0: <laughs> yeah. <it's, laughs> if your it's, system
1: worked too, people wouldn't have problems with throwing out of there. So,
0: <laughs> it, well, it's, it's amazing how much that uh, clip backfired, right? That's a famous clip of him saying totally. that you shouldn't hold your own keys and you should let uh, somebody who's more, uh, I guess, technically sound to hold that for you because it's going to be safer because bitcoin let's be honest is prone to user error if you're not careful then you you can lose your bitcoin so he was making the case that you've got to trust somebody else you can't do it yourself which is Mm -hmm. kind of shitty because like you got to empower your customers you can't tell them that they can't can't do something um uh, that's how i see it anyway but so and then of course it backfired because all the people that thought oh he'll do a better job holding our coins are no longer owners of those coins so Boom. No, no.
1: Yeah, I mean it's 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 brutal how these lessons have to be learned. Um, man, the thing I'm just really grateful for is like I was part of the wave that got uh, my money stuck in Quadriga, and so I'm like one of the creditors on that. I had a like good amount of Bitcoin, good amount of ETH, and, and Canadian dollars in there, and like I learned the hard way on that. And wow. I did actually have money on Celsius at one point, point. Um, and I, you know, thankfully I pulled it off. Like. This, this is the thing with all these things is, like, Luna, people had some inkling of was going to go down before it happened. Like, there were a few people, but, like, you had to really follow, like, the Dylan Leclercs and all the others, you know, like, the real mm-hmm. Nick Carter insiders. Like, only a couple people were calling, uh, calling the shit out for Luna and how that algorithmic stablecoin stuff wouldn't work. The thing is, is, like, I couldn't be bothered to understand all that. Uh, Mm -hmm. the Celsius stuff was like a little bit easier. And thankfully a lot of people were like, yeah, this is going down. And then you also had Mashinsky coming out, calling FUD and looking really desperate. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that was months of months of people calling out Celsius. And I realized as the yields were going down, like it's not even worth taking the risk at that point, like 2%, Mm -hmm. this Mm -hmm. thing could be a scam, even if it's like 5% chance that the whole thing could go down. That is not worth 2% yield on my, on my Bitcoin. I look at it similar to like how Greg Foss talks about bonds, where it's just like, it's all uh, risk and no reward. Mm-hmm. And you got to realize like, you know, your yield has to come from somewhere mm-hmm. and your potential upside is like 5% a year and your potential downsides a hundred percent. So you better have a damn good reason to put your money into these things. Um, mm-hmm. And if you are, you better do your research because if you're not like, I think the lesson's just been learned by everyone at this point that like the risk reward is not worth 5%. Mm-hmm. To yeah. lend it to someone that has like opaque practices, like I gotta know exactly where those funds are being lent out if I'm ever gonna lend them out again. So,
0: yeah, you you gotta at least put a small stack in. Don't put the whole thing in there because like yeah, well, it's not worth the risk.
1: So this is what happens in the fiat world, though, man. Like you got inflation going crazy. Everyone is chasing yield, even if it doesn't really make any sense. You know, they see five mm-hmm. or they see ten percent, mm-hmm. and they're like. It's got to do something. My money's always got to work for me. Always got to work for me, right? It can't just be well, the, on its own store of value.
0: Well, the, self, the safe choice has been eliminated away, like you said. It can't be its own store of value because it's just deflating away. Yeah. Uh, one of the this came to mind just now. One of the things that people kept saying in your video about uh, what is money is it's a measure of work. And I kind of agree with that. It's true, but it's a measure of work at that moment because like years later, it's no longer equal to that same value that it was when you first got, got measured it for that work that was done. Uh, And this is kind of what uh, we, we heard at the orange pill session when um, the guy from, uh, what was his podcast name? Uh, Your, your life, your choice, I think something along those lines, he was saying his dad, Could make surplus income but he did nothing with and even though his work was valued quite high when he earned it uh, when he earned the money it was (laughs) worthless when he actually needed to spend it to get something back out of it Mm
1: -hmm. yeah and like i mean another addition of this is uh i i think there's like a soft conception among lower and middle class uh people that you know watch mainstream media that millionaires and billionaires are getting paid huge bonuses and paychecks and that's where the majority of their wealth is coming from and it's not true like most billionaires i was looking this up have less than like i mean i mean it's kind of obvious that like why would you need that much but like most billionaires have less than one percent of their net worth in liquid cash or any liquid investment at any point of time so even bonds included so your average billionaire only has like 10 million dollars that he can spend tomorrow uh the other 990 million is like locked into long-term equity or bonds or real estate Right? Mm-hmm.
0: Um,
1: and people don't get that at all and that's why you get these ideas of like oh well then we should have a wealth tax or we should have like an unrealized capital gains and but you realize like the system just benefits people who are able to stash their money into things
0: mm-hmm.
1: and if you can't do that for whatever reason you're you're just you're toast because you'll never catch up to the the, the motorboat that's zipping along that is inflation right mm-hmm. it's like you're it's like you're on a kayak uh, if you're a wage earner right and, and the rest <laughs> of the world's on this little speed boat and then the millionaires and the billionaires are on their super yachts and they're just ripping past or you, they're on their nice. jet seat, right?
0: so, that's a very uh, vancouver bc uh yeah, yeah. <laughs> metaphor i love, I love it, it. <laughs> you know? yeah i like to just think of the hamster on the wheel just like running and running and running, running but it's even worse yeah. than the hamster because you're not staying in one place you're like falling back
1: <laughs> yeah well, and it's, it's, it's sad because I think it's like the, the conversation I have here a lot with my friends is like, and, and they almost want to like avoid the conversation. They're just like, Julian, like, why are you bringing this up? Like, this is like just a downer conversation. It's just like, well, how are we going to like afford houses as a kid, as like adults? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, how are we going to have kids and like own a place and have like backyards without moving? And it's like, well, yeah, probably not going to happen. Hope I strike it rich one day yeah i guess i'll just keep working maybe i'll take on another job it's just like no like unfortunately if you actually do the math unless you're making uh six figures or they somehow change it to like you only need to put like two percent down and get a mortgage you're not going to get a house in vancouver it's it's like it's mathematically impossible and i say that to people and then they just kind of blank out because it's just like you don't want to hear that right like you live here and you want to figure it out eventually, but it's just like, no, the only way you afford real estate in Vancouver is you got to hitch your money to something else, build that up. And then if you're lucky, if you're really mm-hmm. lucky, you can get a down payment going. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, a million dollars, 200K down payment, you're still talking and that's a million dollars is like it gets you a condo Now that doesn't get you a house. Uh, you're still talking about seven thousand, eight thousand dollars a month mortgage, and that only goes up with the rates going Jesus, up. It's just, yeah, it's 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 fucking impossible here, and nobody wants to have the conversation, and it sucks. Um, because like, what else do you do, right? Like most people, they just give up and they move out. Yeah, uh, or they just rent forever, and that's fine. Some people are okay with that, but yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's brutal. No one, yeah.
0: It's well, sad. it it <laughs> it's a huge disruption, and it and it has a lot of. Uh first second third order, order effects that are negative like mm-hmm. like i mean it definitely drives homelessness like you know what i mean like the, we've just seen that by like these uh, by just seeing like more tents popping up <laughs> in urban urban cities uh it yeah. there's and also i mean the other thing is is the price inflate like going up like that is just a it's a measure of the money being broken right like it, the, the houses are getting this monetary premium that should be in the money, but it's just being replaced for the money well, into the houses, well, houses
1: because. Yeah, houses get this crazy monetary premium for like a bunch of reasons, right? Like, number one, it can produce cash flow, like gold, most stocks, et cetera, are not, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then number two, uh, what other asset in the world can you lever up like uh, five to one? Like mm-hmm. no one else is going to get, you're not going to get a loan for anything else. Try getting a business loan mm-hmm. that levers your five to one. Impossible, mm-hmm. but real estate. Sure. And why? Because the notion, it just goes up forever. So who cares if you can't afford your mortgage payment, the bank will gladly take it off your hands. They'll make a mint, right? They'll just, they'll just hold on to it for a couple of years. Even if there's a recession and they'll be able to flip it for more. And it's, uh, yeah, it's so, it's such a shitty system. Um, yeah. Well, you know, you know what's really interesting is like you look at countries that don't have uh, good banking infrastructure and mortgages, and they don't have crazy monetary premiums on their housing. Go to countries, and I, I mean, like these are third world countries, but go to countries where you cannot get mortgages. You mm-hmm. just can't. You gotta buy stuff either flat mm-hmm. out, or they give you a mortgage for like fifty percent down at like crazy mm-hmm. interest rates. There's no monetary premium on real estate in those places, right? Because you can't lever it up. So.
0: Mm-hmm. Was it, was that what it was like in in El Salvador when you went?
1: Well, El Salvador is an interesting case. I think it's because um, from my feeling of it and like a lot of South American countries and Latin American, to be honest, every country that's not Canada and the U S the families stay together, right? So you'll have a family household and everyone will contribute to mm-hmm. you know a mortgage or maintaining the house or whatever. Right. So the yep. kids will stay basically until they get married and they might even stay once they get married. Uh, so it's a completely different system. And that also makes it harder for us up here as well, just because we do have this notion of like, no, once you're 18, you leave the house, you forge your own destiny instead of like, uh, you know, you might have, I mean, I know actually quite a few families here that are like Chinese or from India, and they'll have like four co-signers on the mortgage, right? You don't mm-hmm. like most, you know, most like white families, I'll just say white families, you're not <laughs> No worries. You'll see it a lot more in other ethnicities and immigrants and stuff because they have yeah. stronger familial connections, right? Mm-hmm. So,
0: yeah. Um, now, with El Salvador, is it is it is it that like they just don't have the infrastructure for making real estate kind of like this big in, um, industry, or is that part of it too? Like in 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 like these so, smaller.
1: I mean, El Salvador is a really interesting country from like a geographical standpoint, uh, because almost half of the population lives, maybe it's like a third, most, like a a good majority of the population is somehow connected to the capital city, which is San Salvador. It's like a huge, uh, sprawling metropolis. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's quite modern, like it's, it's, it's got some dingy areas, but like the core, like they have, you know, they have like, they do have like 30, 30, 40 story apartment buildings around there. Um oh, cool. So, you know, in terms of like that part of El Salvador, I think they probably do have, you know, banking and, and you know, people are getting mortgages for those places. But as soon as you go outside the city, uh mm-hmm. a lot of the properties and, and things around there, I imagine, just get passed on through generations or they get mm-hmm. sold uh in like a uh just you know, broker to broker kind of system, mm-hmm. not like how we have it up here where everything is connected to the bank somehow. Mm-hmm. Um I see. Again, I'm I'm speculating, but I imagine just judging off of how I've seen, they have development areas in El Salvador. Like Surf City is a big one or along the coastline, but you start going back in the jungle and stuff. Um, you know, these are big lots uh, where people are doing farming or just like mm-hmm. family lots that are just passed within a community. Basically, I imagine for you know dozens of years.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess there's, there's a little bit of like a similar situation like that in Armenia. That's where I'm originally from. And oh uh, yeah. Uh, it it does uh it is like that i think in in the rural areas of course in this in the city it's a little bit different cuz they did go through industrialization uh when they were part of the soviet union and they do have a lot of like buildings and and such and but uh what you're describing does sound very familiar now tell me a little bit more about el salvador and your trip you i remember you said you were gone you were there for 3 weeks
1: yeah about about 2 Two and a half weeks or so.
0: Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, you did like a uh, tour throughout both the uh, city as well as the uh, coastline and see those more rural, rural areas there. Uh, yeah. Was there a big difference? Tell us about the um, compare and contrast those two.
1: Yeah. I mean, i've I've been around like I've been around Peru and Mexico and San Salvador to me had the vibe of like a pretty traditional like. Latin American hub. Um, the mm-hmm. thing that drives me crazy about San Salvador is they don't have a lot of traffic lights. So when you're crossing the street, like there's no, uh, there's no pedestrian light. You're it's like Frogger every time. And that, that's oh like, they got to figure that out. I don't understand why they can't. I get that. Like you don't want to stop traffic on and off and the roads there need some work. But um, what was the vibe I got? I think the vibe I got is that I, I don't really have much of a history with el salvador like i didn't even know much about it before the whole bitcoin thing but i've been doing some studying and stuff they went through this big civil war uh they came out of it now they have this whole new um it seems like a dynasty in uh the first innings with bukele uh where he's just radically changing the country and so mm-hmm. from the now- people that we spoke to there's not like a ton of understanding about bitcoin but everyone we talked to was very positive on bukele and i was We were looking and I was like, I got to find some skeptics. We had one of the journalists, uh, actually both of the journalists that were helping us with the project were the skeptics of, of Bukele. Mm -hmm. And that makes sense, right? Because he's done some stuff to actually kind of kill freedom of press down there. They don't like, uh, you know, being bad mouthed. Uh, The government does not like bad press against them. So yeah, they come at you pretty hard. Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, besides that, like, everyone we talked to was super hopeful because they have all these on-the-ground initiatives, like, take away Bitcoin out of the whole thing. Every every child there, basically, from, like, kindergarten to grade 12 was uh, given either a laptop or a tablet. Like, we don't even have that up here. Um, and that would be a great thing for the government to subsidize. I would be so down for that. I know that a lot of people can afford their own here.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: imagine if, like, every, you know, kid was able to get this basic tool for education and for function uh given to them by the government i think that's an amazing initiative um they're doing a ton of infrastructure replacement there so they're rebuilding roads Uh, apparently they're going to build a new airport for this bitcoin city like which will be a -hmm. a massive major new airport i think under bukele they expanded the current airport uh, made a couple more terminals there um but everywhere you go um it gives me vibes of like Vancouver basically like there's construction <laughs> everywhere in that country and I don't know if that was the case before Bukele but I know that he's doing a ton and like another one of the big initiatives is they um they built a uh a pet hospital
0: I remember uh, that one yeah I was gonna mention yeah, that <laughs>
1: they put that up and, and he was like oh it was paid for by like bitcoin profits or whatever it's just like it's kind of a joke yeah yeah but yeah. um <laughs> So when we were there, it was like, uh, they hadn't even, I think they had the, um, the cement and beams for like two stories out of the three, uh, three months after the whole thing's done. Like they moved at rapid speed there. The, the, Mm -hmm. like, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe I don't have much to compare it to, but like buildings take forever to make here. And it's probably because we had like all these codes and stuff. Like I, There's this construction project near where I live, um, and it was like, I don't know, I think like a 200-unit apartment complex. It took Mm -hmm. them like nine years to finish Mm -hmm. it. Uh, They're putting up pet hospitals and God knows Mm -hmm. what in San Salvador in months, right? So things are moving along really quickly there. Um, They're building a lot. The city is becoming more modern. If you go there and you're in like the main hubs, they have like every American restaurant, McDonald's, Pizza Hut, Wendy's, like all that stuff, super modern. And Uh, they all
0: accept Bitcoin, right?
1: they all accept Bitcoin and that's super cool. Um, Mm -hmm. the way they accept it is very different. Like you'll have some places where they only know Chivo. And then if you want to send it from like another wallet, you'll have to kind of like guide them through it. And, but Mm -hmm. I imagine that's changing now as people kind of understand Mm -hmm. it and they also get a lot more They're learning. Yeah. Um, some places have just integrated, uh, Ibex Mercado, Mm -hmm. which is just like lightning really, really like McDonald's has that system down. Like their way of doing Bitcoin payments is just the easiest. Um, But, you know, it's, it's a lot more modern than I think people, uh, expect, um, you know, they hear about El Salvador and they probably still think like, you know, kind of ravaged, but no, like they have big malls there. We Mm -hmm. were in these like giant shopping malls, cinemas, um, Mm -hmm. nice public parks there. Mm
0: -hmm. Now
1: I don't want to sugarcoat it. Like there are areas and we did go through like some slums and I would actually imagine like there are a lot more people who live in like, you know, the slums Mm -hmm. that than live in like the modern areas of uh, El Salvador, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, it's, uh, it's pretty good. And like, even when we went through like the sketchy areas, like we never had anybody come up to us, um, you know, to bother you. Yeah. They're really nice. And then, so that's like the main city. Um, Mm -hmm. when you go over to the beach, it's like all, it's like their tourism paradise for like, they, they get people from out of the country. Um, not as many as they are getting now, but they're getting like, you know, they're getting people from all over the place coming to go surfing there. Mm -hmm. Uh, A ton of expats uh, who've come over. Mm -hmm. Um, We met some really interesting people. I liked El Tunco. El Tunco was like probably my favorite, like beach town. El Zante is nice, but it's not fun to kind of navigate. Like you can't just like walk to everything or you can, but you're just like covered in sweat after El Tunco is kind of, you can tell it's a little bit better design for uh tourism and stuff it's just like one one street or two streets mm-hmm. um yeah El Zante the- is amazing though El Zante is really cool it's got these like amazing black sand beaches um but man everyone there is just like they're they're happy uh that was the vibe that i got i know that there are issues with security and there's a lot of things going on like kidnapping that gets kind of shoved under the rug and Mm -hmm. I actually take issue with some of the stuff that like Max Kaiser and Stacey Herbert post because they only show the good side of El Salvador. There's a lot of Mm -hmm. stuff under the hood that is not that great that the government Mm is kind of omitting uh, from the public. Um, But uh, there's nuance everywhere you go, right? So I would say as a whole, um, when they say his approval ratings are 86%, I 100% believe that Um, everyone there seems to be reaping the benefits of, I think, you know, his more positive vision of the future and the fact that he's just getting shit done. Um, Bukele is, is like no other politician they've ever had down there. Uh, you know, he's just, he's just, I mean, he's running it like a CEO and I don't know if that's the best thing for like every country or every society, but I think for a very tiny country, like 200 kilometers long, um, mm-hmm. I think he's the best bet that they've had on leadership, um, probably in the last like 50 years or more.
0: Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting. I mean they they've they've gone through everything, right? They've gone through civil civil war. Um, I think I I saw that like because of the civil war that that basically made made their uh, original currency they had worthless, and that's what led to them being de dollarized or not de dollar dollarized, where they had to. Basically, make their economy work. I don't
1: know if they suffered hyperinflation with the cologne. I'd have to look that up. I I think it was more. I have to look up that whole thing. All all I know is that when they introduced the cologne or when they introduced the US dollar, it was super controversial as well as Mm -hmm. Bitcoin. I remember the first couple of weeks of Bitcoin, you had people protesting.
0: Um, Mm -hmm.
1: But when the cologne uh, got changed to the US dollar, it was like pretty hellish for a bit there. But. down yeah, I, I can imagine
0: because it makes all the uh, paper money people had been saving completely worthless. So that's happened. I, they,
1: they had like a swap line for it. It wasn't like, oh, bam, your cologne's worthless. Like you have these redemption periods, right? But yeah, you better switch it over pretty quick, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. It's it's pretty stressful when that happens, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> At least with the Bitcoin thing, they didn't have to lose what they already had. And in fact, they got $30 extra.
1: So, what is Armenia on? Are they on? Are they in the eurozone technically, or no? Uh,
0: they're right in between where, like, Asia and Europe meet. And okay. Armenia has their own currency called the dram, but it's like it, I think it it exchanges like five hundred to one for to a, for a U.S. dollar, so it's pretty worthless. And uh, I think, um, like, they have their own central bank. I don't know this too too well, but I think they have their own central bank and. They don't really have a lot of power. They rely a lot on the Russian central bank. I think. So. Oh,
1: okay. So they're a lot more tied to the Russian banking system than the European or
0: American. Yeah, they're definitely not Europe. tied to the European. They're they're like an old Soviet uh, republic that um, uh, you know they they're, they're a small country with uh, difficulties with their bordering neighbors, and they have a hard time even defending their borders without the help of Russian military. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Swirl is such a big place, man. Like I, I, I'm I'm, getting deeper into like geography and like I'm trying to learn a lot about Africa recently because I think that's like second to South America or maybe mm-hmm. first, that's where like the Bitcoin revolution is really going to take
0: hold. Mm-hmm. Um, well, but, Central African yeah. Republic is the second place to deem it uh, mm-hmm. legal tender. And I don't yeah. know too much about it except for from, I think I listened to one podcast where somebody said that Similar to El Salvador, this comes from like a a leader kind of seeing, understanding it and wanting to kind of, you know, help his country, help his nation, help his people by adopting it for his country, having that vision. So that's interesting. That seems to be a a commonality between the two countries. Uh, Maybe that's the path forward for a lot of places.
1: I, I, I think it's, um, you're going to see that like the countries in their respective continents that first adopt it are going to reap the benefit of like all that external investment. Because eventually, if like dozens of countries accept Bitcoin, like you're not special for accepting Bitcoin, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, El Salvador has seen such an inflow of capital uh, since it's begun. Like their tourism numbers are like sky high. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's just like, like, like tourism is this contagious thing, right? And Mm -hmm. first you you legalize Bitcoin and then you get a bunch of Bitcoiners coming to the country and then they're sharing photos of what that country looks like. And, uh, you're getting more and more tourists. You get more people who get jobs in tourism there. And it's just, it's these like really, really fast building knock on effects. And, you know, I don't think people are going to be going to Central African Republic to, you know, go on vacation anytime soon. Mm-hmm. But they're going to be seeing a lot of external investment, I think, because they're, from what I understood from a video clip I watched, a big imperative for them to adopt Bitcoin was they want to finally start um, drilling for their own oil there. And mm-hmm. the reason they weren't before is because with the CFA franc system, when they exported oil, uh, they would lose something like 30% of the value. But if they made Bitcoin a legal tender, if they could find another nation to buy the oil in Bitcoin, then they could actually profit off of this, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so. This, this is an amazing gonna fact, man. Feathers. That's going to ruffle feathers.
0: But. Yeah, it better ruffle some feathers. Like, I hate to say this, but fuck France. Like, uh, yeah. I don't like swearing too much on the podcast. But, like, when I found out about this, like, this is a thing that people don't know about. That France controls, what is it, 14 or 16 African nations and just yeah. cuts them at the knees every single day by making them not be able to have their own currency that can, like, have any value whatsoever. Anything you do in those countries, whatever value you accumulate, you have to like get some money for it, right? And you can't get any money except for these whatever. I don't even know what it's called. But- if you want to
1: import anything, it has to go through uh, mm-hmm. France's treasury. I don't know about their central bank, but their treasury. Well, that's the mm-hmm. thing that's interesting about this. Is it's not even France's central bank that's handling. I don't think they have a central bank because they're using the euro but anyways their their treasury is handling all these transactions to the euro or the u.s dollar or whatever and they take commission fees like this is like this is like money gram but for like a country or for like 16 countries right like france Mm -hmm. is like the money gram for 16 african nations and that's it's it's disgusting it's deplorable yeah it's it 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 cripples these these countries and their ability to grow and whatnot and and the, the trouble with a lot of these countries too is like they have to import stuff; they cannot produce enough energy. they cannot produce adequate food mm-hmm. supply in those countries as well, mm-hmm. and so every time they want to import stuff, if they're not just getting i m f loans and then the the loans are in u s dollars so they don't have to mm-hmm. worry about that. If they want to import stuff that they've made with their own economic fruits, France gets a cut of that and like i mean it's, it's crazy like we're acting all woke and and shit like we we care about like all people's lives and stuff and in mm-hmm. in Europe, like they love doing mm-hmm. that stuff too, but like you're 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 it's a indentured servitude when you when you do mm-hmm. this to countries um and i'm glad that it's 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 like it's it's cool that central african republic is like right smack in the center mm-hmm. uh, and it's it's similar to how el salvador is like right smack in the center of like that part of the uh, yes the hemisphere as well right these little fires that spark and god knows where it's going to be in a couple of years but I, I think it's really going to start spreading for sure
0: Mm Hmm. Yeah, and like now that, like, if from what I understand, you're right. The Central African uh, Republic has a lot of uh, natural resources, and if they can actually tap into those resources and get value, true value for them, and be able to accumulate that, then that could potentially like turn the country upside down.
1: It's a lot harder of a place to find information on. Um, but I mean, I think the statistic that goes around is like only. 10% of the country has access to internet, So Mm -hmm. I would hope that just by adopting Bitcoin and trying to get some more entrepreneurs in there to build out their, their wallet system and all that, that that will come as a side benefit as well. It's like, okay, if we're going to get everyone Bitcoin wallets, we might as well set up some cell towers here, get everyone, you know, some mobile phones and stuff to start being able to use this. Right. Mm -hmm. So,
0: yeah. Very interesting. Uh, there was one last subject I wanted to talk about that's skipping me at the moment, but that's fine. We can just, uh, finish off maybe, uh, talking about like, um, so in El Salvador, they, is it only lightning network? How, How does it work with regards to on chain? Is that ever an option?
1: uh yeah it is an option um doesn't really work for commerce at all <laughs> unless mm-hmm. you're okay with not having confirmations but i don't think anybody really is yeah yeah uh, you'd have to so we, as they did find like a couple stores like they couldn't get the lightning working but here's the thing is like we were there within the first three months of um them implementing uh lightning into chiva wallet i think the first implementation didn't even have functional lightning my uh,
0: It got really white all of a sudden.
1: Yeah, the sun's coming through my room, that's why. Ah. Um, the first implementation of Chivo had really shoddy lightning uh, capabilities, and we actually got transactions that got lost because of it as well, and I assume it's not the lightning network's fault, it's more Chivo. Uh, so uh, a couple places were like, no, we only do on-chain, um, and then you'd have to wait there for like 10 minutes for the block to confirm. <laughs> and then like you just cross your fingers that you're in the next block otherwise you're there for like 20 minutes or 30 minutes but um (laughs) bump that basically like basically commerce everywhere is uh lightning now here's one of the fun facts that like i don't know how they do this but it's amazing so they have these chivo atms all around the country and you can go and take like a 20 bill put it in, and then uh, you hold up your phone, and it'll just send Bitcoin to the QR code. Yeah, And then in reverse, uh, you can also just send the ATM Bitcoin, and then it can give you it back. And you can do this on, it's a two-way ATM, and you can do this uh, with zero fees. So you can buy Bitcoin and then sell it the next minute on the same ATM and get almost the exact same amount of money back. And that is really cool, and I think part mm-hmm. of that is uh, they bought some Bitcoin for the reserve or something, or they they figured out this exchange system. But um, very cool. Basically, like I I don't know, they might have some private Bitcoin ATMs in uh, El Salvador, but you can use all of these Chivo ATMs without uh, without having to give them any sort of ID. I think all they want is your cell phone number to send you like a secure code, um, but they don't ask for you to have the Chivo app or anything. Uh, which is really cool. Um, and, yeah,
0: there's one yeah. thing sorry to cut you off, but I remember watching your video, and there was like, uh, you're talking about all the innovation that's happening in El Salvador. And there's one guy who had like this machine where you're just putting in coins and then you just scan a oh, QR Edgar. code. Yeah, and, that was and, really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you talk about so that.
1: Like, so that's like stacking sats to the next level, right? Because for most of their economy, it's not digital, like, they don't have. Not everyone just has, like, you know, tap to pay. And then a lot of the street merchants definitely are not going to take debit or credit, right? Because you're going to have to have these, like, 25 cent per transaction charges. And so people are carrying change around all the time. And uh, one of the entrepreneurs that we met down there was making a machine where you could basically just uh, – I okay I'm going to fucking explode here. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? My window has the sun coming right at it. I don't know why. I yeah,
0: yeah. It's uh, yeah, um, not bothering me. Don't worry about it.
1: Uh, anyways, uh, what I was going to say is, uh, Edgar has this machine where you can just put in coins, uh, it tallies it up and then it just sends you that Bitcoin, uh, via lightning to any lightning enabled wallet. And I thought like, that is so c- cool because it's, it's, yeah. it's, you, you can look at it for like what it is on the surface and then you can look at it for like the, uh, the economic, uh, value of it, which is like, you're turning physical into digital um, and <laughs> At like you know, with like a machine, like a box that turns. Specific. It's it's it's. I guess you can say it's like a Bitcoin ATM, but because it's just um, uh, because it just takes coins, right? It's like this tiny box. You just like you put it in, like you're putting quarters into like a gumball machine, and then it just sends you Lightning payment, and it's like instant too. I I, I think I showed the whole thing in the video what it was
0: like. Yeah, yeah, it was right. like right away. You had it and on a moon permit, wallet
1: permit, because of because of Lightning. Like you can set a fee and all that if you want mm-hmm. to, uh, mm-hmm. but because of Lightning, like you you load it up with Bitcoin um and then you can just get it on your phone like 10 cents or 20 cents worth and that's awesome. And a, a lot of people don't really understand this but like all the debit and credit systems that we have right now for like you know paying for let's say a coffee or whatever there there's like 25 cents minimum to do these things and I know that like Jack Mallers is is really changing this up with lightning but mm-hmm. this is a big deal in um third world countries because they don't have even if even if uh you know these debit machines came to El Salvador it's not like the average person is going to carry around like mm-hmm. you know a, a debit machine at your local like uh fruit market right but everyone's going to have their phone yeah and so the ability to just like beam over money digitally and not have to carry around change is is awesome right and then mm-hmm. again bank in the palm of your hand like we just will never understand it here because we take it all for granted because we've had this system forever mm-hmm. but You go to other countries, you see how it works. If you're a traveler, you really understand this concept too, because you're constantly changing currencies and working Mm -hmm. within other systems. And some countries you can just tap to pay, and other countries you've always got to have a lot of cash on you. And that makes you Mm -hmm. nervous. Like
0: Mm -hmm.
1: being able to have a bank anywhere across any country around the world is going to change the way that people travel. And it's going to change the way that these economies are able to actually have savings too. And it's, Mm-hmm. It's inspiring, man. the The good stuff is just—it's not happening here in the U.S. and Canada. Uh, <laughs> I want to educate people on mm-hmm. this, but it's really hard to just drill it into people's heads that mm-hmm. uh, nowhere it else has as good as we do in terms of like monetary privilege. So.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We need to have that pain, right? To under, to have the need to learn and understand these things. And yeah, maybe like a, let's finish off with the last question of like why? Like, why did you? What? Like, what was it that made it uh primed you to be able to understand bitcoin and see its value like it's usually it's curiosity or pain or a combination of both can you like uh Mm. give that story a little bit maybe from uh incorporating your orange peel story i think you you said to me in our first conversation that your girlfriend uh was the first person who introduced you
1: no she wasn't the first person who introduced me um i introduced her to it but oh okay
0: my my apologies i I mixed up the story
1: Okay. Huh. Got to give me a second on this. Um, So the question is, is like, what is kind of my imperative to care about Bitcoin or?
0: Yeah. Like, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Because people you talk to them about it and it doesn't seem to click with them because they don't see the need for it. They see they, even if you explain to them, like what you just said, you can beam money digitally instantaneously to somebody across borders. They're like that. I can't use that. yeah so why is like is is it your peruvian background
1: i don't i don't have like a i i i'm just actually getting in touch with my peruvian roots but i'm not like mm-hmm. i wasn't born there or anything mm-hmm. um i think the reason that i have gravitated towards this this whole time is that like i i come from a background of, of filmmaking and i used to be so into writing my own stories like i really liked fiction and i would love science fiction and i would love fantasy and stuff and I you know I used to be when I was like really really little like six years old I'd, I'd play with Lego and I'd make up all these interesting stories and mm-hmm. I used to look down on documentaries because I was like well they can't be like that interesting right like <laughs> I mean I can come up with like all these things Star Wars and all that and then you you, as you mature you start reading more right and you read biographies and you watch mm-hmm. documentaries and you realize that like truth is always uh, stranger and more amazing than fiction and then you start mm-hmm. getting into history and that gets really interesting to see the rise mm-hmm. of, you know, when you're in history class in high school, you learn about Hitler and, and World mm-hmm. War II and then the, uh, the Cuban missile crisis and all these things. And you're just like, man, I can't believe that. Like we've made it out alive in all these situations. Like we've had so mm-hmm. much bad stuff happen to humanity, but we always seem to like, we always seem to push through. Mm-hmm. And all of the things that kind of, uh, backstop these real stories are, are usually uh uh technology in some way right like the way that we are able to progress in humanity is through technology mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i guess that brings us to to bitcoin uh because i never used to think of money as a technology mm-hmm. um, i used to just think of i used to well most people only know it as like yeah right like they didn't medium of exchange you ask most people and they don't know that we used to ever have money tied to gold like most you'd be surprised like most people don't know that all they know is that the government creates money and they thought that it's always been that way throughout history forever
0: mm-hmm. yeah uh,
1: they won't even know the glass beads thing or anything like that right I th- I just think, government I think- just makes paper
0: if if you press them i think they'll come to they'll realize that they actually know it but they don't remember it like everyone knows like pirates with gold gold like they they had gold and mm-hmm. chests and stuff like that like
1: but we don't we don't ask why it's just yeah, like exactly. it's just, it, it works so we don't ask why right mm-hmm. um the countries that don't have it working they ask why all the time right and they ask why so hard that they change their whole life over it they leave at any expense and like mm-hmm. i'm i'm getting into there's a shout out to um uh i'm gonna botch her name island osario uh on twitter uh she's a a vancouverite um and she writes these amazing uh blog posts and medium articles on immigrant stories from syria from venezuela Mm -hmm. and how money plays a part in people's decisions to leave places and so Mm -hmm like growing up in Canada I've just I've never experienced that like I've had friends who have immigrated here but I, it's never been tied to monetary systems and you just like as you become an adult you you dig deeper into all of these things if you're if you're really curious about things mm-hmm. and I just realized like how the form of money plays such an important role in so many people's lives yet we never question it it affects yeah. and it touches every single one of us. It's this, it's a story onto itself, uh, mm-hmm. that builds over long periods of time. Uh, but we don't look at it like that. We just look at it like a tool to, you know, buy whatever and we only care about money in so much that it gets us the things that we want. Mm-hmm. But it is one of the most interesting stories uh ever, the evolution of money and just seeing mm-hmm. all this stuff and so My imperative with Bitcoin is at first I looked at it like this speculative asset, but when I really started to think about it in terms of money, and then obviously Mm -hmm. the Bitcoin standard is like the ultimate book to really go back and compare different types of money and how we got here. Bitcoin has such a fascinating story and I can't help but think in the grand scheme of things, like it becomes the winner just because it it, it comes from this like pure mathematical place that we've just never Mm -hmm. had money from mm-hmm. before money mm-hmm. used to be a, a, a geological and like scientific uh based thing when we had it based out of gold we knew the scarcity of gold we knew it as mm-hmm. an element on a periodic table mm-hmm. now money is is like a fictional thing it's a fictional thing that people write and they they mm-hmm. they mess around with their ledgers and
0: mm-hmm.
1: we're, we're we went from a, a hard physical reality to a, a paper fictional reality which is fiat and i think mm-hmm. we're going back to a hard digital reality and that's bitcoin and so that story it's got to be the best one to tell out of all of them and <laughs> yeah. that's, why, that's why i love it like it's just it's so interesting to be a part of this space like every single day mm-hmm. uh seeing the collapses seeing the successes it's just you you couldn't i, I think eventually one person will make a really great mini series on the evolution of bitcoin i haven't seen it yet i don't know if there's a market demand on it there's so many <laughs> different players involved but that is going to make an amazing show one day how humanity evolved into Bitcoin. Maybe we'll do it once it becomes like Bitcoinization, <laughs> but like that is going to be the coolest miniseries to see the start of like Satoshi, getting yeah. Gavin Andreessen, all these like old guys uh, talking how? about it, having back, and then how? going through each one of the successive waves and making that like an episode. Like there's so much there for a story and like that's the shit that I just revel in. So rant over.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it would be like... Cool. If you could somehow dramatize like uh, all the um, like the like the forum conversations that, that 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 you know that are saved when like you know Satoshi's first in- introducing the white paper and all that and all that, it just it would be well, too. I think that's, yeah. yeah.
1: Like I think that's part of the reason that a, a show probably hasn't been made about it is because how do you adapt that to a visual medium? Yeah. Like, there's not much physicality
0: going on. Yeah, right? just like, typing on a computer. <laughs>
1: Just like you kind of have to have it because uh, the documentary people explain it, um, but yeah, like showing people out in the real world using it and all that. But like, there's so many interesting examples. Like, I know like the Good Wife, uh, or or was it the Good Wife? There was like some TV show in like 2012 where they had like a bit about like some kid buying Bitcoin at like three bucks. And it was like a it was like a popular show, right? And like uh, you watch that in a TV show and you're just like, oh, like whatever. And then you go back in history, you realize, like, oh my god, like writers in a writing room were writing like scripts about the price of Bitcoin. And they probably didn't buy it when they were writing the script.
0: For
1: them. But now it's a part of history, right?
0: That's funny. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. Man, uh, well, I, I I love your answer about the story of Bitcoin. Yeah, it's it's it is a mind blowing story, and like you said, a lot of times is. truth is stranger than fiction. And uh, maybe one day I'll have to do like a real deep dive into it for myself and kind of see if, like what I can pull out to try to share on the podcast, like some of the most interesting bits. Like I know like some of the you know more general stuff, but I've and I have read the white paper, but I've never actually gone through and like you know, actually read what Satoshi himself has said in, in the forums besides besides the white paper. So yeah, that would be an interesting yeah. project to go back to.
1: Man, I saw this page like a couple of years ago and I was trying to find it, but somebody was doing like linguistic analysis on every single one of Satoshi's posts and trying to tie it to, I think it was either uh Gavin, uh, Andreessen, Nick Sabo, Hal How Finney. Finney. And a couple others, but like, it was a really interesting post analyzing the way that the English was being used and like what tenses and and writing style it was. And they were looking at like the times that it was being posted. And I think the consensus was that like the person was likely uh, posting from California, but through linguistic analysis, they were like kind of finding that the person might have been British. Uh, and then everyone was like, oh, it's got to be Craig Wright then, right? <laughs> um, Get out of here. <laughs> yeah, and then, uh, then some people were saying like, well, wait a second, like, no, there's actually like, there's a surprising lack of cohesion in the way that this person was typing like this, it seemed like it was multiple people that would just take over this account at different times, and Man, I gotta find that thread. It was like uh, it was years ago, but somebody some group of people did this like big analysis to try and really figure it out just based on every single one of his posts on Bitcoin Talk. Um it's, and it's gotta it's be all multiple speculation, people. but it's it's interesting stuff because like nobody nobody mm-hmm. cares anymore. But like mm-hmm. back in the day that was like all the rage was like trying to figure out who Satoshi was and <laughs> all these imposters who pretended that they were him. So mm-hmm.
0: or her. Yeah. It's got uh, yeah. I mean, whatever, we don't have to speculate, but it's got to be multiple people. Who the hell is smart enough by themselves to come up with Bitcoin? The
1: the, the thing that I always think about this <laughs> when people say multiple people is uh, when you have a group like this, um, it seems impossible that someone wouldn't like spill the beans on it. Um, and then the other thing, too, is like if you if you had all that Bitcoin like, you just left it in those wallets forever. Like would Satoshi forget his own keys? Like there's all these things that don't make sense for like a human to do, which is like, yeah, not eventually be tempted by all that economic value uh, to do anything with it. Yeah. Right. Um, they obviously knew that like, you know, if Satoshi's wallet starts spending, then everyone's like, Oh shit, he's alive. The projects, you know, compromised or whatever as well. But mm-hmm. yeah, there's so many questions about, I guess the actions of those first couple wallets that are like, was this a God <laughs> like, he was like not like tempted by anything a normal human would um but yeah
0: yeah it's funny a lot of bitcoiners will will, will say that
1: <laughs> max kaiser uh had some interesting he was like oh I, I think bitcoin's turning he had this uh he had this little blurb he gave me uh i met him at bitcoin miami he was saying like at a certain block bitcoin became like sentient um mm-hmm. It has its own like AI.
0: It's alive. I, <laughs> it's I alive. Could, I
1: could, could understand like what that actually meant, but I was like, "Yeah, there, there is some some conscious. There's a conscious being that has created Bitcoin that does not function like a normal human would." That's all I could say.
0: <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. That's. A, it's, I mean, I personally, I would be tempted if 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 I was Satoshi and I knew the private keys to the wallets that contain like what is it what is it a million coin
1: yeah it's over a bunch but i'm like and i was thinking like what if he what if he just lost it all in mount gox what if he was like man you know what like i'm gonna, mount, I'm, gonna I'm gonna try and give bitcoin some liquidity so i'll trade against myself in mount gox and just like one day he just lost it all and then he's like fuck i'm out of here because i think mount gox was around in 2011 no yeah oh, wait, yeah no, it, went, it went down in 2014 though I don't know.
0: <laughs> that would be like the the comedy, like the Seth Rogen version of like the Bitcoin story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, man, we've been going for over an hour. I really enjoyed Skip the conversation. That,
1: I always, yeah. I always love rambling about Bitcoin.
0: Yeah. It's like you're, we could keep you're, going. You're we could just keep bantering. <laughs> yeah. I just, I, I really want to know what is it that makes people tick about it? Because it's, I feel like some some of my friends are very um, cool with me trying to explain it to them, and they keep hearing it out, which is very nice of them. But for some reason, it's still not uh, – it doesn't make sense to them, and it's because they just don't have the imperative – there's not that pain. They've not, they haven't experienced the, the thing that makes people driven to Bitcoin, and so i just yeah. wondering what what it was for you.
1: it's always i mean i have the same thing like every single one of my friends hears me ramble about it i've lost friends over it actually because i think like Mm -hmm. you know sometimes when you enter like a different i guess like wealth class like it it becomes Mm -hmm. weird with certain friends like Mm -hmm. you end up just buying everything like dinners and stuff like that Mm -hmm. um but i mean like it's it's interesting though and then like you have people who kind of like resent you for like not telling about Uh, not telling them about it earlier, Um, right? So The we are still early
0: line doesn't work with them, eh? (laughs) No,
1: no. But you know what? Like, I I think at the end, um, everyone has to approach it differently. Like, I would say there wasn't like one thing that got me into it. When I first got into it, it was to buy shit on the internet that I wasn't supposed to buy. And then I got into it as like, ooh, I can trade this. And then I got into it as like, oh, what is money? And Mm -hmm. yeah, it's just like, I think that's when people really start to get into it is when that's the best asking, question. Oh, is it is the best question because when you start asking that, then you start really learning the purpose of it and then understanding why it's going to be here forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a really hard path to go down for a lot of people. And like my, my job is like, look, my 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 one plug for myself is this is we have so many great podcasts and great books and great long-form material on bitcoin but Mm -hmm. the problem is is these are not starting points for most people most people right now who need bitcoin the most have so little free time to get into it Mm -hmm. that they need to get little snippets of information you got you know nine to five moms with like six kids and like two jobs And they need Bitcoin. They need a way to protect their savings. But they got a couple minutes a night and they don't want to start reading the Bitcoin standard, uh, you know, while they got to put their kids to bed and stuff, right? They want to get the TikToks and the Snapchats and all these things. And then once it's piqued their interest enough there, then they'll commit the time to the big stuff. And so all my, like, my only goal for the next, like, year or two is I'm not the greatest. I'm not even close to being, like, a great mind on Bitcoin. There are so many others. I don't need to reinvent the wheel the Thing mm-hmm. that nobody is doing is making really fun short content for people to mm-hmm. rope them into this space. Mm-hmm. People are getting into this space because they hear about it as some like you know great way to like make money. They're not mm-hmm. learning about it in bite-sized chunks for what it is, they're just in it for mm-hmm. the money. And if there's only one thing I can accomplish in my life, it's to it's to get people in through like fun stories and interesting stories and, and get them into Bitcoin. Not because they want to make a ton of money, not because they want to sit down and spend Mm -hmm. 10 hours going down a rabbit hole, but just because Mm -hmm. they enjoy the story of Bitcoin and every little piece that it starts out with, right? So Yeah,
0: little bite-sized content to get your kind of... Uh, mouth wet, I guess. I don't know. Get you salivating uh, I mean, for something like, more. If you're to like
1: go down the rabbit hole, you know, you got to, you got to start with like a carrot on a string and that's,
0: yeah, cool. <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Well then just give everyone, uh, like a, a, a way to find your content.
1: Yeah. So I have my YouTube channel. It's uh you can just look it up on YouTube kinetic finance. Uh, it's a mix of TikToks, uh, live streams and whatever other videos I make. And then it's the same on TikTok, uh, Instagram. Just look up Kinetic Finance and you'll find me. And then Twitter as well, if you want to see me uh, get into arguments with other people on the internet. (laughs) That's fun.
0: (laughs) What else do you do on Twitter, right?
1: Just shitposting all day long.
0: (laughs) Excellent. Thank you so much for listening to the end. If you want to reach out and talk some more about Bitcoin, you can always tweet at me at jmartfit or message me on instagram same thing at jmartfit there's also the email option send an email to newsletter at jmartfit.com otherwise till next week stay active be grateful jmart out